This is Trainer Talk, presented by Fasig Tipton on the Horse Racing Radio, Horse Network. Racing Radio Network. Trainer Todd Fletcher has reached the stratosphere. It was all have another for Doug O'Neill. Moon over Miami for Bill Mott. 3,000 for trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer D-Way Lucas, a six win. And Bob Baffert with another incredible milestone. But it was all for Scott McGee. Win number 1,000 for the great Trevor McCarthy. Here's 2,000 for Nick Zito. Steve Asperson is now North America's all-time leading trainer. Now, here's Mike Penna. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Trainer Talk presented by Fasig Tipton. This, of course, is the show trainers listen to, and you are listening right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, as always, happy to have you along for the ride for the next hour on Sirius 162 XM 207, streaming worldwide at horseracingradio.net and available anywhere you get your podcasts each and every week. Well, my guest on today's show first appeared on Trainer Talk just six months ago. At that time, the self-described lifelong racetracker had just made the decision to open his own public stable after working as the general manager and trainer for Blackwood Stables in Versailles, Kentucky. The decision quickly paid dividends, and it didn't take long for him to find himself standing in the winner's circle beneath the twin spires after saddling his first greatest stakes winner of his career. The horse, Liberal Arts, currently sits at number four on the Kentucky Derby points list, and trainer Robbie Medina is hoping he brings him back to Churchill Downs on the first Saturday in May. Please join me in welcoming Robbie Medina to Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton. Robbie, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Good, buddy. Happy to have you on board and looking forward to, to talking with you about this incredible success that you've experienced since going out on your own. Listen, we're 108 days away from the run for the roses. What do you envision these next 108 days looking like for liberal arts? I, I hope they uh, are really good. He's going to, he's going to run on the 27th at Oakland in the Southwest. And hopefully that'll give us a good stepping stone and, and God willing get us uh, to the first Saturday of May. What led to the decision to take the Oakland route? Well, this year, uh, Mike, I have 10 stalls that, um, Oakland for the winter, and then the the bulk of my horses are all at Lexington and the Thorber Training Center, where Liberal Arts is. So I just figured there was going to be two paths for him if everything worked right. It'd be either Oakland or the fairgrounds made the most sense to me, those two places. And I just figured, being that I'm going to have horses stable at Oakland, that's probably the best way. And in the last decade or so, you know, the Oakland route seems to be a pretty good route to go. Yeah, it's been a great route to take, and I can see why you would choose that direction based on past history. I think we need to point out that he is not at Oakland with you at this time. He is still at the Thoroughbred Training Center in Kentucky. Uh, talk about that, making that call and, and going that dis- direction. Well, it's a couple things, Mike. One, he's a very aggressive horse to train in the morning, and his rider is, is a kid there that gets it. It's been getting on him ever since uh, he, he broke him, since he was a yearling, and I just figured, you know, let's not change that because I'm not saying no one else could gallop him, but this kid gets along with him very well. So I didn't want to upset that apple cart. And he trains so well over that track, and he's shipped all his races. He's shipped out of there to run. And I just figured that would be the best way to do it and just ship him 
the week of the race here at uh, at Oakland, and that'd be where I could school them once in the paddock and and you know give them uh, take them to the gate here, and I think that should be enough. You know, I mentioned that his victory in the Grade Three Street Sense at Churchill was the first greatest stakes win of your career since going out on your own. Look back on that day. What was that moment like? Uh, it was it was pretty great. I mean, obviously, I mean that he this horse is always acted like he was a pretty nice horse and he had run all his races were very good. He was probably a touch unlucky in the Iroquois. He got in a little bit of traffic there down the lane. I don't know if that would have that cost him the win, but it probably cost him being second. But I was just all summer long just waiting to see him, you know, when he got to run two turns. And it doesn't always work out, but for him to really relish going two turns, that was uh, quite satisfying. Do you take anything away from the fact that he's already won at Churchill Downs? Oh yeah, I mean you gotta you know he's run uh, three times there and he's run well every time there. So yeah, obviously you know you can never use the track as an excuse. And he's run you know when he won that day it was a sea of mud and you you know as you know Derby Day you never know what the weather could be. So that's you know that's nice to have that variable out of the way. Yeah, and that track on Derby Day is completely different than the racetrack that he competed on at Churchill last October. So things will change from yeah. that perspective. But Without it's a still doubt. a win at Churchill Downs, which I think has to be a nice feather in his cap. Yes, sir. He's raced five times, Robbie. I don't have to tell you this. You know he's very consistent. Two wins, a second, and two-thirds. What makes him so hickory, if you will, just shows up every time you bring him over? Uh, he's, You know, he was a horse, Mike, that when I had him – you know, we first started with him, you know, looking at him because he's, you know, got a lot of good size to him. You know, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be a horse that's going to, you know, probably run for the first time late summer, early fall, that type of horse. And I, you know, the more, you know, when he started training, he was just kind of just forward enough, you know, forward. And then I talked to one of uh, Evan Ferraro, who owns half of them. I said, Evan, I'd rather just run this horse. You know, we ran him at the end of May. I said, I'd rather run him 5'8 than continue to breeze him waiting for a longer race. And he said, do whatever you want to do. I said, he's a horse that's going to need some racing. And and it's, it's worked out uh, quite well. You know, we got to run him 5'8, and then we ran him three quarters, 7 8 to Ellis Park, and then a mile at Churchill and mile 16. So his progression was, was very good. And the one thing I would say, uh, Mike, he still makes mistakes in his training where, you know, he doesn't want to totally listen to his rider, but in the afternoon, he's pretty solid. He he, he pretty much uh, knows what to do. As as a trainer, then, do you just live with those mistakes that he makes in the morning, knowing that he's not doing that in the afternoon, or do you worry it's going to start showing up in the afternoon? Well, you, you worry about it, Mike, because you know when you as now you know when he's run you know ran in those races last year, he's running with a bunch of you know sort of green babies as well. Yeah, and as we keep going further, you know the maturity and the ones that don't make mistakes in the morning and in the afternoon, those are the ones that, you know, usually get, you know, they hit the winter circle. So he's going to have to, you know, start being a little, little more attentive to his rider and stuff like that. But, you know, hopefully, you know, I think he's one of, when I gave him a little fresh, when I freshened him up a little bit and I got him back, he was wanting to be a little too aggressive. And ever since he's been, you know, he's had a couple of works, he's that's kind of quieted that down a little bit. Have you seen much change in his development, either mentally or physically, since you gave him that time off last October? Mentally, he's more 
aggressive. You know, he's always been kind of a, a laid-back kind of cult, and since he's had that time off, he's a little bit more aggressive acting, you know, around the barn, which I kind of like. And the one thing I would say, just having 30 days off of training, you could see it, and, you know, he kind of got a little thicker in his neck and, and through his body. You talk about his aggressiveness, and you said you like that. Is, is that similar to an athlete that maybe is a little bit, I don't know, cocky, I guess, that, but it's a yes. positive cockiness where they're more, more confident in, their, in themselves and their ability than, than it is you know, a dish against, uh, against some of the other players? Without a doubt, that's it, 100%. I mean, when he ran and won his last start, I mean, the next couple of days, he was just like standing in front of that stall with his eyeballs, <laughs> kind of, you know, like, you know, just kind of his chest out. And, you know, that's kind of what you want when you see a horse run. You want them to kind of, you want to see that. And, and that was, that's a nice thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, this show, of course, sponsored by Phasic Tipton, has been for many, many years. You mentioned Evan Ferraro, who is the owner and the breeder, along with Stephen Ferraro. So the co-owners and breeders, it's cool to have a homebred for them, too, isn't it? Oh, it's great. I mean, they're great. I mean, Evan's great, and, you know, Mr. Ferraro, it's like they just gave me the ball and told me, you know, just do whatever. Everything I've we've talked about, it's been the same way. Whatever you feel comfortable with doing, just do it. Just do it. Don't think we're pressuring you to do anything. Visiting so with trainer uh, Robbie Medina here on Trainer Talk, presented by Fazig Tipton, Liberal Arts, currently number four on the Kentucky Derby point standings. Robbie, I did notice, though, that the Derby Future Wager pool number three opens up this weekend at Churchill Downs, and he's one of the longer shots there, not getting a lot of respect. He's 80-1 to 1, uh, for his opening odds. A little disrespect for Liberal Arts? What do you think? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think any horse that's a short price right now in the Derby is kind of crazy unless it's a seattle slew and i don't see seattle slew out there <laughs> yeah. uh, i think you know, they're all they're all in the same boat you know and i think you know there's no i mean they're all there's a bunch of nice uh, good horses out there but i don't i've always felt you know as a kid watching and you don't know until that last prep when they start separating when they start running that mile and eighth you start seeing a difference in who, who's the pretender and who's who's the contenders, I think. Why is that? It's only an extra 16th of a mile, right? Mile and an eighth I, from a mile and a 16th. Why on earth is that such a big jump? I remember I was a kid, and I was with my father, and I watched Flies to Free beat Unbridled in the Florida Derby. And I told my dad, I said, that horse going to win the Derby, uh, Flies to Free. He said, he doesn't have a chance. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, did you see, he only won going a mile. That he was looking for that finish line. He said, "You're going to see when they go an, an extra little bit." And my dad was right. It's just some horses that sixteenth of a mile from the mile sixteenth of a mile. They they may get that mile and eighth on certain tracks, but then when they look, you know, you you've been to Churchill, Mike. You look up that head of that stretch, and you got that quarter mile to go. That's a little different story. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, and you know maybe. 15 horses in front of you if you're at the back of the pack, right? Exactly, you know, so that's, it makes, you know, a lot of speedier type horses, they have the advantage, you know, this time of year because they'll run usually a, a, spree, a speedier horse. Their first time or two going around two turns are usually their better, their best races. So, but you got to see if they could uh, keep doing that. What gives you the confidence that mile and an eighth, mile and a quarter, 
won't be a problem for liberal arts. Uh, the source, uh, Mike, he just looks like he's just crying for distance. He's, you know, big, long, scopey kind of horse. And the one thing I like is that in, in a couple of his races, he kind of was up on the pace. But as the distances, when I ran him a mile, that race was kind of funky because some horse ran off on the lead. But even the mile 16th, you know, he could kind of just sit back. Because one thing about young horses that I, I like is that they could sit back and and still make their run no matter what. You know, he's done that in, during the different distances. So I think as the distances get for, uh, increased, I don't think that's going to be a problem for him. Christian Torres, his jockey, who was aboard for that win in the street sense, is uh, red hot at Oakland. I assume he'll retain the mount? Yes, sir. Why does he fit the horse so well? You know, he. I kind of was watching him a little bit uh, at Churchill earlier this year, and he just kind of he sits on a horse pretty good, Mike. He's very patient. You know, he's he's aggressive enough, but not uh, crazy aggressive. And he, you know, and he finishes well on a horse. And obviously, he's ridden this horse a few times, and he, no complaints. The end, give him all the rides have been good. Yeah, and like I say, he's in top form right now, and I think that's another yeah. – we talk about feathers in his cap, if you will, with the Street Sense win and winning at Churchill Downs. Having a jockey that's on top of his game certainly doesn't hurt. Without a doubt. You don't ever want to go into these things. I've heard that as a kid. If you've got an ice-cold rider, you better have a super hot horse to overcome it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's a, it's a great line. It's a great way to look at it, too. And, and now yeah. – Hopefully, Liberal Arts does his thing, and Christian Torres yeah. can just be along for the ride to guide him uh, through that Triple Crown Trail. Um, he's the son of Arrogate, so we talk about being able to get a mile and a quarter. That bodes well for him, too. Yeah, I mean, he's, that's great. And, you know, he is out of a, 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 the mayor who's the sprinter and, and, the, and the, her sire, a, tri, a tribal rule. He only ran a handful of times, but he was a fast sprinter, but... I kind of the air grade, the you know bridal song that's good to have on the, on the fire line. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Again, 108 days until the run for the roses. You talked about this when I when I first connected with you before we started the program, and you said it's a long road to Churchill Downs. So how do you uh, try to keep yourself in check and not get too high and and too low down this road? Uh, you know, you just kind of let the horse dictate what it is mike you know sometimes if you see something that you know you don't like you know don't force it you know that's kind of hard to do but you just let let it happen and don't you know get too far ahead of yourself because you know it's it's kind of crazy but you know when i worked for suge and we had orb i remember after he won the florida derby that's when we, we were kidding around with each other saying i guess we got a derby horse <laughs> so you know it just you just kind of it's you want to block all that stuff out the, the best you can and, you know, just let the horse. It's, a lot of things have to go right to get there, and if that happens, that's great. But don't, you know, if, if any little hiccup or something, you got to, you know, you got to hit the pause button, and that, don't don't worry about having to do that either. I'm so glad you bring up Hall of Famer Suge McGahee, whom, as you mentioned, you worked with for many, many years. Uh, and I, I'm glad because when you started talking about letting the horse, you know, guide you through it, not you forcing the horse to do something that maybe he's not quite ready for yet. The first thing that popped into my head when you said those words was Suge McGahee because in the conversations <laughs> I've always had with Suge on the program, he always talks about, and, and not just Suge, any 
great Hall of Fame trainer, they'll say, let the horse take you to where you want to go. And it's a wonderful yeah. philosophy, and I, that's what works. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, at the end of the day, Mike, you know, it's called horse racing. And let the horse dictate, you know, what's what. Sometimes, you know, I'm a guy that loves, that likes action a lot, but sometimes you got to let the horse, you know, dictate when, when we go out there. Yeah. Are there things, Robbie, that you picked up from Shug uh, when, say, like with Orb or other horses that were on the road to the Kentucky Derby that are that will help you now as over the next few months as you prepare liberal arts? Well, uh, yeah, I would hope that, you know, I, I was awake there and all that. No, I think everything <laughs> – there's plenty of things that uh, that I will, you know, be able to put forward, you know, learning from – being with the orb during the triple crown thing and uh the one thing is you know orb uh, you know he was you know i got remember remind myself you know i got worse uh stable in kentucky where right now it's below freezing and you know orb i was in florida the whole winter and he never missed a day of you know having a war everything went perfect for him never missed the work on a scheduled day every day he was meant to work. The track was fast. You know, sometimes that doesn't always happen. But, you know, there's things. That, and, you know, you kind of see it in the horse. I mean, what Orb, Mike, he was just, you could just see after each race how much better he was getting. It was, you know, right there in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was He was kind of telling you, I'm ready. Yeah, I mean, just physically looking at him, I mean, it was, you know, like just you knew it. I mean, you didn't want, you don't ever want to get cocky or anything but the way that horse was progressing in between each race you know he he had probably as great a winner of any horse i've ever been around you talk about orb not missing a work and not missing a day of training because of being based there in south florida you're dealing with a situation now at oaklawn park you told me that this morning's temperature was a high of of six right six degrees fahrenheit uh and the track has not been open since this past weekend Talk about making the adjustments and doing what you need to do going forward with the horses that you do have down there with you. Well, Mike, the, the first thing you that you mentally have to understand that I under, to understand is everyone's in the same boat. It's not like somebody's getting to train, so everyone's in the same boat. And here, like here at Oakland, there's you know I'm just walking the horses under tack, and it's these horses are feeling you know. They're loving this. They love this weather. <laughs> They're jumping out of their skin. Yeah. And in Kentucky, I have the luxury over there where I'm at the Thorbert Training Center, and I'm in one of the new barns they built, and it's really big. So we jog the horses in the shed room there. So, you know what, Mike? Sometimes a horse getting five, seven days of easy isn't the worst thing in the world either. That can be good for them. Yeah. I mean, these horses, like I said, it's, six degrees this morning and they're all bucking and squealing they're all standing in front of the stalls i mean it's, <laughs> so you know that's you know and and it's and you and i have to remind myself too it's you know it's the middle of january and let's not get crazy you know trying you know it's only the middle of january there's still a long road to go for the whole year yeah yeah it, we're just getting started here in, in 2024 yeah. that's that's exactly. a good way to to look at it. it's really the only way you can yeah. Look at exactly. it. Do you worry, Robbie, about horses losing a significant amount of fitness when they can't train for a full week? 
I, I don't, Mike. I mean, like if some horses, you know, if I had some horses that are like coming off a layoff, you know, that just putting them a week behind where they would be. But horses that have been running or, you know, like liberal arts, you know, he's jogging around in, in the barn. It's not, you know, instead of working, probably he was meant to work this coming Saturday. It's probably going to have to be pushed back to Monday. So that's not nothing is, is being upset. With yeah, that, 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 that anyway. doesn't throw you off schedule trying to make that race on the 27th. Not, not at all. I mean, I I prefer to breathe him, you know, five, uh, five, six days before he runs anyway. Dealing with the situation you're dealing with at Oakland, does it make you wish you went to Florida for the winter? I mean, I, I love Florida, Mike. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, the I, where I'm at at the Thorba Training Center is, it's great setup, and I have access to run at all the tracks in Kentucky. And if I wanted to run, in, if I had something to run in Florida, Mike, it's not that long a, a trip to get them down there. So, and then, you know, being here at Oakland, if, you know, here, or if I needed to run at the fairground. So, I mean, as much as I'd love to be down there in the sun, I can't, I'm not going to complain of my situation right now at all. Yeah. <laughs> How many horses do you have at Oakland with you? I have uh, 10 horses here, and then at the training center, I have uh, 39. Wow. So almost uh, almost 50 horses in training. Uh, is yes, that sir. the number that you wanted to be at at this point after going out on your own? Yeah, yes, uh, Mike. You know, the way, is, the way, as you can see, the way the game has evolved, I think that in order to, you know, compete and, and have, a, you know, enough to fire at them, you're going to need in the 50 to, you know, probably 60 range. You know, that's the way I see it. And that way, I'm not spread out too bad. You know, mm-hmm. if they come this, once Oakland's over, they'll all be, you know, at the, at the Thorber Training Center, and, and that, you know, that'd be perfect. How does it work logistically, getting the horses from the training center down to Oakland, and then the horses at Oakland that I guess you're going to have to send back to the training center to make room, how, how do you coordinate all of that? It's it's pretty easy. I, you know, it, it's not that. It's an eight-hour van ride. So, I mean, you have two options. Uh, Mike, you could leave first thing in the morning and be, you know, at, at either place in the afternoon or you'll leave in the evening and be there first thing in the morning. So, it, as far as shipping the horses, it's very easy. It's, you know, it's really easy to do. And, and going to back there's not a whole lot of you know it's not like i got to go through jersey and new york and all that it's traffic is not a whole lot yeah and you're not shipping all the way to california where you have to fly the horses back and forth exactly so the the shipping part is is really easy you know anytime even like i said from the thoroughbred center probably to ship a horse to Gulfstream is probably you know 15 16 hours on a van that's that's no big deal Whenever trainers come on the program and they start talking about moving horses around or having horses in various parts of the country, and, you know, as you well know, some trainers have horses in three or four different parts and maybe even more, um, they always talk about their help and the people that are looking over the horses that they can't be there every day to see. So tell me about the folks at the Thoroughbred Training Center that work with you. Well, uh, Katie Cadell is my assistant trainer, and she's uh, very good. And then I have... uh... Maria is my foreman there, and she's very good. So, you know, I'm set up very good and over there, and I have four 
really good riders. And then I have, you know, so it's, it's, it's made that part, uh, Mike, it's really easy for me to just keep going back and forth. It's no, it's, you know, when I leave there, I know everything is going to be a okay. Yeah. Katie's been with you and you mentioned your main assistant. Um, is it difficult, Robbie, to put together a team that includes good assistants and good exercise riders that are going to be there consistently each and every day? Yeah, yes, Mike, and it's getting harder, you know, because, you know, I I mean, I'm not, you know, some relic, but, you know, I grew up, you know, where I just was in, in awe of this, this game, and all I want to do is work. I didn't I didn't have any complaints, Mike. <laughs> so, you know, and all, and all I want to do is do it every day, all day, and now as times change, which is, is, is great, you just got to, you know, it's harder to find people that have that commitment where, you know, they know it's, there's a lot of sacrifice you have to make in order to, to do this kind of living. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen over the years in the way that trainers approach their business or the way that business is now done in this sport? Well, the, the biggest, uh, a lot of the big changes, like uh, Mike, when I was a kid in Chicago, they're a big trainer over there, like a Richard Hazleton, a Bert Sonnier, Jack Van Berg, you know, they might have had 40 horses. You know, that was, you're like, whoa, man, they have a lot of horses. And then there were so many trainers that had 10, 12 horses. There was, there was a lot more trainers. And, you know, that obviously that's a big change. Like there was, I mean, when, when I was a kid, when Wayne had, you know, Lucas had his, you know, New York, California, that kind of stuff. But that was, you know, he was like the, one of the first guys to have all that stuff, but yeah, and I, that's, that's a big change. And I would say, you know, another big change in the sport. When I was a kid, there was so many older people that you can learn from where now you don't, those people are, you know, have, have gone on and retired or passed on. So I don't see a lot of people filling those voids, you know, and that's, I got lucky where I kind of caught a, a lot of that tail end where I got to learn from a lot of the older time people and and you know that I can you know you can't put a price tag on that. Yeah, people like Angel Penna Jr. and Lou Goldfine oh, yeah. and, and Shug yeah. were, were all part of of kind of molding you into the trainer that you are today. Yeah, yes, Mike, and I mean even as a kid, I mean there'd be hot walkers, grooms that and they tell you things that to like till today, I uh, you know I'll see something i said oh, i remember you know when i was a kid they said that you know just little things like that so like i said i i was blessed the way you know i kind of fell into the game other than Shug, who i'm sure you you still communicate with but is there a a trainer in the sport today that's been around for a while that if you wanted to go sit down and bounce a few ideas off them you would choose that particular trainer Oh, well, like, uh, you know, Billy Mont is, uh, you know, we're, I've been friendly with Bill for, you know, a long time and we kind of kid around. So, you know, I, if I had something, you know, that I, you know, was having a little problem with, with a horse or something, he'd be someone I would call and, and, you know, bounce an idea off him. And I'm really good friends with, uh, Chad Brown, you know, so if there was something, you know, cause I can't make heads or tails of, he'd be someone, you know, I'd, you know, wouldn't hesitate to call. Yeah. Have you ever had to do that? I did it. I actually uh, called Bill 
uh, like a month ago, Mike, I've had I had this horse that's kind of wanted to get out in the morning, and I didn't, you know, there was a bit I put on him, and I didn't want to put it on him, so I said, let me call Bill and see what, if he had any ideas, and he had a couple ideas about that, and so that's great. And then I, I'd be remiss just not to mention one guy that he, he always watches my horses run. We're great friends, and he is a wealth of knowledge, Angel Cordero. Yeah, he is. He is. He'll he'll watch some of my horses run and tell me what to tell the rider the next time they run. I mean, that's uh, you can't put a price on that, Mike. No, one of the greatest riders in the history of the game, and somebody who has yeah. now become a true student of the game. Not like he wasn't before, but now in retirement, yeah. he's really spent a lot of time studying this game, and he knows his stuff. And we'll talk more about right. that, Robbie, in the second half of the program. We're going to get to a short break. Stay with me. When we come back, we'll talk more about Robbie Medina's success with liberal arts and some of the other horses that he's gotten to be around in the past that are really going to have a special place in his heart going forward. That's all ahead on Trainer Talk, presented by Faisic Tipton, right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Faisic Tipton's Kentucky Winter Mix Sale is a hot market. Scheduled for February 5th and 6th in Lexington, Kentucky, it is the last mixed sale before the start of breeding season and annually provides sellers with quality results. Entries are still open. The 2024 Basic Tipton Kentucky Winter Mix Sale. Enter now at basictipton.com. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races and make plans for opening day of the championship meet on Friday, December 1st. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Well, Fazig's family, basically. Some of the guys that work here I've known for 30 years. I just felt really supported and they're, they're great communicators. They try to help in whatever you do. Phasic Tipton's has a sale for every market, every segment in the industry. There's multiple opportunities where you're gonna have plenty of good buying and selling situations. Great customer service. I'm not only a buyer with them, but I'm a seller and I've always been well taken care of. There's a lot of different things that sometimes you need at a sale, and Phasic Tipton is there every step of the way. They show year after year that they're ethical and they're fair, and they enjoy what they do. But when you're around people that have a combination of all those things, you know, you can't lose. This is Trainer Talk, presented by Phasic Tipton on the Horse Racing Radio Network. And at the back is Liberal Arts as they round the far turn. Gettysburg Address is still the leader. Informed Patriot has come off the rails, second and targeting him off the turn. They're one, two. Liberal Arts is coming on with a rally in behind as well. And Moonlight down the center, racing for the eighth pole. Informed Patriot powers up and grabs the lead. But here comes Liberal Arts, who's cut loose in a big way. Liberal Arts rocketing past Informed Patriot and Moonlight and everybody else. Liberal Arts finishes full of run to score by three. And Moonlight grabs second. Informed Patriot was third. 
Gettysburg Address was for. Welcome back to Trainer Talk, presented by Fazig Tipton, Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you here as always, and visiting with trainer Robbie Medina, who trains liberal arts. You just heard the call from Travis Stone taking them home in the grade three street set stakes at Churchill last October. Liberal arts just closing like a freight train to run by everybody, and Robbie hoping that will be the case on the first Saturday in May if indeed liberal arts is able to make it that far over the next couple of months. We are 108 days away from the run for the Roses and uh, the road to the Kentucky Derby starting to heat up, even though the weather around much of the country is not. If you missed any portion of the first half of the program, all you have to do is head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to the podcast of this show and all of our shows. Whenever you have some time, it's horseracingradio.net and Type in Horse Racing Radio Network on any podcast platform, and you can listen to us however you get your podcasts, whether it's Google or Apple or Spotify, whatever it might be. Uh, simply head over there and type in Horse Racing Radio Network and follow along. Robbie, that call from Travis, pretty exciting, and I know that that had to, had to be a, a, put a smile on your face and, and bring back some great memories. Oh, I put, I put a, a heck of a smile on my face, and... Uh... I hope I have a, a, a bigger feeling like that if, uh, first Saturday in May. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you, do you expect that to be his running style going forward, or, or do you see him as a horse that has a little bit more tactical speed? He has a little more tactical sp- speed, uh, Mike. I mean, I think if he's in a race that's a totally paceless race, he, he could hope be on top of him. But I would, in a perfect world, I'd prefer him to be, you know, kind of, Five, six, seven lengths is kind of off him, and you know, let the chips fall where they may from there. I mentioned that he's eighty to one in the third Derby Future Wager pool this weekend. How much should I go bet on him? Uh you can bet uh, you can bet a couple bucks on him, Mike. I mean, I think <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, I was always taught as a young guy, if you ever run a horse that's uh, a long shot and and it jumps up and wins, and you didn't bet two across on him, you're a fool. Yes. <laughs> So. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Hey, listen, he's he's a horse that obviously has plenty of ability. I mentioned that the eighty to one is one of the longer shots in the Derby future. But if you're going to bet a horse in the futures, you want a horse like that. You want a sixty, seventy, eighty to one because if they get to Churchill Downs, they're probably not going to be that price on the first Saturday in May. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it's not like in the old days where you had you know horse that could be uh, bombs in the in the Derby now. If you make it there, you're going to be, you know, even if you have no chance on paper, you're going to be probably 40, 50 to 1. Do you bet on any of your horses? Uh, no, Mike, because I'm a, is probably the most superstitious guy that you've ever met. And uh, I did bet on one. I have a horse named Archie the Giza, and he trains <laughs> like a, a good thing. And he got me the first two times, and I had let alone after that. <laughs> did he win when you didn't bet on him no he, he he's a <laughs> horse that he actually won at churchill uh uh thanksgiving week and then he finished second at turfway but he's a horse that he has loads of ability if you saw him train every day you would be asking what stake races is he running in wow but he, so he'll figure it out one day hopefully is he a three-year-old He's actually a five-year-old. He's a half-brother to Harvey's little girl. Yep. And he got hurt as a two-year-old, and he 
uh, they kind of pulled the plug on him and just had him on the farm just eating grass forever. And so he didn't come back in until the end of his three-year-old year. So he's just turned five. But in theory, he's mentally, he's a horse that's probably just like a three-year-old, just turning three-year-old. Yeah. How frustrating is it for a trainer to have a horse like Archie the geezer who's training really well in the mornings, looks the part, and and just for whatever reason doesn't put it all together in the afternoons? That, that Mike, would be probably the most frustrating thing. And you do want to see something at least. Like him, it was a little frustrating because in, in his races, he wasn't, you know, doing a whole lot. And then finally – I ran him once to Churchill, and he was fit. He was fit, but beaten off. But the jockey moved way too soon. But he showed a big run in that race, and I just think you know. Now, then his next start, he won, and then he was second. So, I, at least with him, he now he's transferring some in the afternoon. But if they don't do it in the afternoon, might it make you not go to sleep at night? I yeah, mean, just horses like that. Oh, it will keep you up at night for sure. Have you had oh, yeah. horses, Robbie, that kind of the opposite end of that, where they start training and you're working with them and you're thinking, Ugh, what are we going to do with this horse? Can we get them off the payroll somehow? And all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, something clicks and they become this really good racehorse. Oh, yeah, you actually, you can encounter some, especially like when they're when they're two and you're just like, ah, this thing's kind of just, just a thing here. And then you run them. And they run really good, and then you run the ones that have been beaten up on them, and, and they get skunked. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy, Mike. Yeah, nobody knows, right? No, no, I remember watching a video of Frank Whiteley, and he said, you don't know anything till you take them over in the afternoon. <laughs> and that's yeah. probably as true awards as you ever hear. Yep, yep, they can show you all the ability in the mornings, and then yeah. you get them over there, and yeah. sometimes it just – doesn't happen. I mean, it's like an athlete who, you know, a human athlete that practices really well and looks like they're going to be a star. And then when they get into the actual flow of the game and the pressure of game situations, they don't deliver. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, I'm friends with Coach Parcells, and he told me, and I can't remember his name, he told me he had a cornerback when he was with the Giants that if you saw him practice, you thought he was the greatest player that ever played. And he said if you saw him in the afternoon, he said he couldn't cover you. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same for horses. Oh, without a doubt. You know, you were talking about Angel Cordero Jr., the Hall of Famer, and you said that you would go to him at times if you want to talk about a certain horse or a certain situation. And we were talking about how smart Angel Cordero is and what a student of the game he is. Talk a little bit more about that because we had to get to the break. Tell me a little bit more about Angel and what makes him such a good confidant for you. Angel, I met him when I first went to New York. Now, when I was a kid, you know, him and Shoemaker, my favorite riders, and is not that my opinion means anything. I think they're the greatest riders ever. So when I got to New York and I got to meet him, we just hit it right off. And then when I worked for Suge and he had Johnny Velasquez's book, then, you know, we did, you know, we did a lot of business together, but, just sitting around him, you know, I'd go to his house and, you know, just listening to the stories he could tell you about races. And then if he watches a, a horse run, he could tell you so much. It's like, you know, it's unbelievable. 
mm-hmm. the knowledge he has, just watching a race and not even having to be on the horse's back. Just he's he's he's, he's part horse. <laughs> yeah, part horse. I like that. It, yeah. Is there a rider in the game today that reminds you of Angel in any way? Uh, the closest thing I've seen to him is Irad Ortiz, mm. and uh, he, he is he still he he's still a long way from Angel, but Irad is he is unbelievable jockey. He is to me he is he's the Otani of uh, jockeys right now. Yeah, what makes those guys so much better? I, look, all these jockeys are pros, right? What makes yeah. those guys even better than the pros they're competing against? I think the the one thing, like you when I, you, you watch, like when Angel rode, he got as much winning the ten thousand dollar race as winning the stake. It was just their desire to win is unbelievable. Now I know there's a lot of people that say that I read, you know. He overdoes it and this and that. Well, I'm sure those same people that are knocking him, if they had to win a race, they want to leg him up. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. You know, he's just, he, it's just, you know, you watch him day in, day out, and he, they have uh, guys like him, they have this thing where you just seldom ever look and you're like, wow, he gave that one a bad ride. Hey, they all give him bad rides, but he's, when it, he's seldom in the wrong spot. I've always said that the jockey that reminded me the most of Angel was Johnny. And, of course, John Velasquez learned uh, from Angel. He took him under his wing when he came to the United yeah. States, and it's a great story there. So it's it's no surprise that, that his style would be similar to Angel's, at least his approach to the game. I don't know if style is the right word, but his approach to the game. Yeah. I, I've always yeah. said that he'd be my choice. Of course, that was before Irad burst onto the scene too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still, you know, Johnny's obviously a little older now, but I mean, if if you had to pay your rent and you had to win, it's going to be him or Irad that's going to get on my horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. but there's some, there's a couple uh, guys that you know they're they're not far behind Irad. You know, Tyler Gaspione is Mike. He's the he's he's pretty dang good, and so is uh, Irad's brother Jose. And you're not going to go wrong with either one of those guys. Is it hard to get those guys on your horses? I, uh, you know, obviously I'm not in New York, so yeah, I don't really have to deal with them. But here in Kentucky, obviously Tyler, everyone wants him. But I, I'm really good friends with his agent, Matt Musiker. So if I have something that I think is pretty important, you know, he'll, uh, you know, hope I can usually get him. Mm. Yeah, he's obviously. Uh... It, uh, on a different planet right now. Uh, yeah. You know, there are yeah. others he, that are excellent, but Irad is on a different he, planet. Yeah, he's, 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 he's uh, you know, I, I, someone I can't remember said, that kid's, like, you know, in a good way, so that kid's an animal. And, yep. that's, you know, that, that's the truth. I mean, yep. he's just. Let, let me put know. this question out there to you, Robbie. I'm always curious what trainers think about this. I, I personally have always really hated when trainers would get to a big race, like let's say the Kentucky Derby, and the jockey that is on the horse all the way up until that point gets booted off the horse for a bigger name, right? Um, yeah. That suddenly becomes available. So Christian Torres, the rider of liberal arts, let's say he continues to do really well with liberal arts, and we talked in the first half of the program about him being a good fit and all of these different things. You get to the Kentucky Derby. Are you in the camp of 
dance with the one that got you there, or do you start looking around for somebody like an Arad or a Johnny? I kind of uh, in the camp where you try to get the same jockey to ride your horse all the time, uh, Mike, and if they figured them out, there's no need in changing. So, I mean, I mean, if I was lucky enough, we're lucky enough to get to that point where we're in that position come derby, you know, derby week or whatever, unless Angel Cordero is coming out of retirement, it'd be the, the Christian Torres. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always liken it to the Super Bowl, for example, when teams get to the Super Bowl and if they've been there several times, the the pressure is different. The experience is different. But if you get somebody that's going there for the first time, it's it, it can be a little bit overwhelming. And you they say, oh, well, you want to side with the team that's been there before. I, I guess it's kind of the same thing when trainers make that that decision to pull a rider off that's never been in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I understand. Like I said, I understand their the thought of that, uh, Mike. But I got to be honest with you, Mike. I can't think of any situation where someone changed the jockey dirt, right before the Derby from a you know a no name to a top name in a one. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's usually, bad karma. I really do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just I just think you know, like I mean, I got it. Like if there, like if you got you know. Unfortunately, a guy that's never won in prime time, and and you got you know a, a, your choice of a bunch of top jockeys, and and if they never ridden at the track, I could see those variables. Yeah. But you know, Christian Torres is the second leading rider at Churchill Downs and stuff like that. So there's no, you know, it's 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 so much different uh, today, Mike, than when I was a kid and before then. I mean. I mean, the jockeys today are, are really good, but I mean, when I was a kid, it was like every track in America had really top riders, you know. So it's kind of, I think they're a little, it's a smaller pool. Yeah. We talked about the legendary trainers too. Robbie, I'll ask you this question. If you, if you could spend a day visiting and having dinner with one trainer from the past, who would you choose? Well... Mike, I got I, I got I got lucky, Mike, where I was friends with uh, Leroy Jolly for years, so I got to kind of have lunches with him and play golf with him and pick his brain. So that I got to deal with him. But if I could just sit down and you know have dinner with a guy, it would would probably be Charlie Winningham because I met him in 1988 when I was a kid. He shipped a horse into our barn for the Arlington Million when I worked for Lou Goldfine and he introduced me to him and he would be probably the guy. That's a hell of a choice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he'd be, he, you know, just hearing about him now and then hearing stories from Suge and a bunch of guys about Woody Stevens, you know, if there's a one and one, a, it'd be those two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talked about being extremely superstitious in the first half of the program. What are some of your superstitions? Uh, Mike, I don't watch races with with people I know. That's that'd be probably number one. Even loved ones, I have really? to watch the race by my yes. I have to watch be by myself. I don't like to be around people. How and, do you do that when you're at the racetrack? I just walk away, or they uh, or like my girlfriend, my daughter, they know me. They'll they'll walk away. <laughs> even even the daughters, uh, even your two girls, aren't allowed to watch the race with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just they know it. It's just, it's. It, I have watched races with them, but 
they know that I kind of, you know, just want to be, I don't know, it's just something about, I've always been that way since I was a little kid. I just, I have to watch it by myself. Yeah, and, I, uh, I that, relate to that. One. I've been known to ban friends from Steelers watch parties that I've had, so I, I get that. Yeah. No, I hear you. And uh, probably it used to be like I had to have the same tie if we won. It's going to have to be the same tie or same clothes. Like I think Orb, I'm almost positive, every race, Orb, uh, the Fountain Youth, the Florida Derby, Kentucky Derby, Preakness, Belmont, I had the same tie. <laughs> so, I mean, stuff like that or – just or where I watch a race. Like if I get lucky to win a race and the next time I go to you know, run a horse, I'm going to try and watch it from that same exact spot yeah. in the grandstand. Yep. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if it's good or bad, but I am like very superstitious. Like, I mean, yeah. if I were driving and a black cat was, Oh my God, Mike, I, you don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are, you're not the only trainer to have those superstitions. I remember uh, my dear friend and, and former co-host here on the show, Jude Feld, trained horses for a lot of years out in California, and he, he despised the song Horse With No Name. And if he was driving to the racetrack that day to saddle a horse and he heard that song on the radio, he just he knew he was done. He, he told me he would turn around and just leave. Yeah, yes, I mean, it's just. I guess, you know, we're we're all pretty much a bunch of nomads doing this, you know. You got to be uh, a little bit out there eccentric, and uh, so that's just, uh, you know, <laughs> how we are. Yeah, I've done it too. I, I have a lucky pen theory. If, I, if I'm if i winning when I'm handicapping with a certain pen, I, I have to have that same pen the next day when I'm playing races. Or if I'm winning with a certain teller, I have to go to that same teller every single yeah. time, uh, whatever, exactly. whatever it is. Yeah. You're exactly, you're, 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 I hear you. I totally understand. What's it take for you to get off of one of your superstitions? I don't think there's really anything. I, I had another crazy one too, Mike, I forgot to tell you, is that I'd always, if I thought we had a, when I worked for Suge and even now, if I thought there was a horse with a chance or in a big race, I'd get a haircut the day before. <laughs> so... So I did that one time a long, long time ago when I rubbed horses and the horse won. So I've rolled that dice for a long time. But, yeah, I don't think that there's pretty much, there's nothing that could get me off of superst- uh, being superstitious. Nothing. All right, let me throw this scenario at you. You make it to the Kentucky Derby with liberal arts. You're in the box, and your family is with you right up until the Kentucky Derby. Do you, do you tell your girls, hey, Sorry, you got to leave, or I have to go someplace else, or will you actually watch the Kentucky Derby from your box with them? If we make it there, uh, Mike, I could probably tell you it's going. You know, it's hard to maneuver around a hundred and some odd thousand people, but I will probably try and maneuver as far away as I could. <laughs> yes, I love yeah, it. I may try and watch it where I watched Orb. If I get lucky enough to get to that uh, day, I may w- try and watch it where I watch Orb run. Where'd you watch Orb run? Right, you know, because he was number 16 when I handed him to the pony. And I turned around. There was really no room for any of us to go. So I stood right there, right at the gap. And I wow. watched it right there. Wow. Yeah, that would be a good place to be if, if liberal arts yeah. gets there. I, I get it. I would definitely go back to that spot, and you can celebrate with the family <laughs> afterwards. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That's you know they 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 know that they they uh, they're dealing with a guy that's pretty kooky. So yeah. <laughs> they're they're not worried about it. I love it. He is trainer Robbie Medina. He is my guest right here on Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton. Um, Robbie, I mentioned that you joined me six months ago on this program, and you had just made the call to go out on your own um, after working at a farm in Versailles, and you said, you know what, I'm going to try this, open a public stable. It's been a good decision for you. What things have you learned since you made that call? Well, you know, you know that it, it, the first thing is, you know, you get a, you got to be careful not to get overwhelmed. You know, now I have to, I'm the one responsible for payroll and paying the vendors. So that's, that's the first thing that kind of you better get a hold of. And, and not to get too down, like I got a little down, like I was, I could tell you, Mike, you know, probably until the summer at Ellis Park, I didn't know if I had enough, you know, to compete. Not, I'm not scared to compete. It's just I didn't know if I had enough horsepower to compete. And then as I started seeing, you know, some more of the horses train and getting running and then, you know, right around, you know, towards the end of the summer, I was like, well, I have enough, you know, where I, I'm going to be okay. And if, if I could produce with that, then I'm going to get, you know, probably a better wave. So that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Does it work like that where a, a trainer starts to get results with certain horses and then maybe some owners start looking to them and picking up the phone and saying, hey, let me send you a horse. Let's see what you can do with my horse. Does it work like that with trainers? Yeah, it, it it works like that, Mike. I mean, I know we're in a like a data age, and everyone's yeah. worried about their percentages. And you know, and you know, I would love to have one of those gaudy percentages, but you know, I for one, you know, with young horses, I just don't want to. I'm not. I don't want a super horse up just so I could tell you, hey, Mike, I won with a first time starter, and he and he never did anything after that. Mm-hmm. You know, I rather if the horse give them a chance if they're going to be, you know, productive, and that's just the way you know I learned from as a kid to shug. You know, it's a little harder now because you do have to kind of step on these young horses a little bit more to run them first time out than before. But you know, I just figure you know, if you, you're right, getting back to your question, if you do produce with horses, you know. Then, you know, someone, you know, some owners are probably going to call and say, okay, well, let me give this guy or gal a shot and see what they could do. How did you get involved with, with Evan and Steven? How did that relationship come about? Well, I met Evan because I'm uh, good friends with Max Hodge for probably almost 30 years. Max worked for Suge for about six months after he graduated college, and I was working there. Yep. So we've always had a great relationship, and then – I met Evan through Max, and we just started, you know, you know, just being friendly. And then uh, Evan asked me uh, when I, I was still at Blackwood if he could send uh, liberal arts over there to break them. And I said, yeah. And then I remember a kid that gallops behind me, he told me, he says, tell Evan you want to keep this horse to run. I said, you like him that much? He said, yeah. So then I would just mess around with Evan, just leave that horse here with me. And then one day Evan says, he's yours. Wow. Wow. I love it. That is so great. You know, you surround yourself with good people and you almost can't miss to be successful in any facet of life. And Max Hodge, Evan Ferraro, 
my goodness, two of the best people you're going to meet, not just in the horse industry, but anywhere in life. They're, they're wonderful people, and uh, it, I'm so glad that you're involved with them, and I hope that this all turns out beautifully for you, Robbie, and, and for Evan and for Steven and the entire team. Uh, just about two minutes left in the program. I always like to wrap it up by asking trainers to let us know something about them we haven't talked about yet. So hit me up with anything, any other hobbies or interests or things you enjoy doing away from racing. <laughs> well, I, I didn't play much golf last year, but I love golf. You know, but it's uh, it's a lot harder to play uh, when you got to pay all the bills. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have I know. time, but <laughs> but I mean, like, golf is is it would be my number one hobby, and then I have another hobby that's probably I shouldn't have that my girl drives my girlfriend uh, crazy is I I love shoes, Mike, and uh, I have a lot of shoes. Really? <laughs> Do you yeah, have more shoes than uh, she does? Then my girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, my God. More. I probably have 20 times uh, the shoes she has. Wow. That's impressive. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I have the whole garage. Is, well, one side of the garage is, are my shoes. <laughs> so, yes, that's, uh, it's probably it's an ex- expensive habit. It's probably a foolish one to have, but. It's uh if you if probably you put a pair of shoes near me or something or if you're wearing a pair of shoes that I haven't seen Mike, I'm gonna ask you where you got them and then I'm probably gonna try and get that pair. Wow, I can't come close to matching my wife's shoe collection. So that's that's impressive, my friend. What's the lowest <laughs> round of golf you've ever shot? I sh- seventy nine, I think seventy eight, seventy nine. But I could I'd be lucky to break a a, a hundred right now if. Uh, you took me out there, uh, Mike. Yeah, well, maybe after you win the Derby, you can go play Valhalla. They'll let you out there. <laughs> All right. That'd be great. Yeah. Robbie Medina, ladies and gentlemen. Robbie, listen, it's been a delight. It's been so much fun to, to spend this hour with you. All the best going forward, not just with Liberal Arts, but with your entire stable. Keep it rolling. We'll be cheering for you, and let's talk again soon. Thank you very much, Mike. All right, all the best. Robbie Medina here on Trainer Talk, presented by Facebook. Tiffin, if you missed any portion, head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the podcast there, and you can do that on every podcast platform as well. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina, in our Lexington studios. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening to this edition of Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton.